This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline, 17 days. President Trump continued his 2018 Greatest Hits tour with his latest rally just hours ago in Elko, Nevada, part of a multi-state tour of Trump country intended to fire up voters ahead of these crucial midterm elections. The Democrat Party has become an angry, ruthless, unhinged mob. So Democrats produce mobs. Republicans produce jobs. That's become hashtag. That's called hashtag. The single greatest ally that the Democrats have is the fake news media. This will be the election of Kavanaugh, the caravan, law and order, tax cuts, and common sense. For more on this, let me bring in CNN correspondent Boris Sanchez, who's at the White House tonight. Boris, what'd you see at tonight's rally? Hey there, Essie. To some degree, this was, as you noted, the president's greatest hits, reiterating lines on uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the caravan, etc. But in some ways, this was a flashback to the candidate Trump that we saw back in 2016. That sort of doomsday rhetoric uh, elevating the midterm elections uh, potentially to a life or death proposition, not just for his presidency or his agenda, but for the entire country. At one point, the president suggested that Democrats uh, were trying to help undocumented immigrants to secure precious resources that belong to American citizens. The president actually said, if you want to save the country, you have to vote, presumably Republican. We can likely expect more of this coming from President Trump as we get closer to November 6th. Sources have indicated that he's been warned of what could happen if a blue wave hits Congress. Not only a threat of an attempted impeachment, but a long-term intrusive investigations into his business dealings and the people closest to him. Now, the president does have an event on Monday in Texas, the uh, locale for one of the highest profile Senate races in these midterm elections. He heads to Wisconsin later in the week where there is a contested governor's race, and he ends the week in North Carolina where there are a number of heated house races. We should know that's what's on the schedule right now. It's likely we will see more events added as the week progresses, Essie. More Sanchez, thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, there are just over two weeks standing between today and these crucial midterm elections where it's very much a contest between who is angrier in America, the right or the left? Trump knows this, and to that end, he's pulling out all the stops. Earlier today, he called Democrats unhinged. He also tried out some new insults for Joe Biden at today's rally. We call him either Sleepy Joe Biden or 1%, which is better? She said Creepy Joe. I... No, I would never do that. I would never insult him like that. <laughs> no, calling someone creepy is beneath him. But just the past few days, he has called a woman who was suing him for defamation horseface. He also suggested Democrats are behind the caravan of thousands of Hondurans fleeing violence and heading toward the U.S. border, a claim he doubled down on today. 
The Democrats want caravans. They like the caravans. A lot of people say, I wonder who started that caravan. Let's not forget, he also applauded a Republican member of Congress for assaulting a journalist. Greg is smart. And by the way, never wrestle him. You understand that? Never. Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my kind. He's my guy. It's worth noting the president could be focusing just on a booming economy, record unemployment. But this low-hanging fruit is just too tempting to pass up. Here's the deal. Trump's trying out a new line that these midterms are going to be about Kavanaugh and the caravan. He's likely not wrong. It's no secret the Republican base is motivated by illegal immigration. And I've been saying for weeks now that the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing awakened an angry, silent majority that the left is not anticipating. He's not wrong, but at what cost? The president of the United States has chosen to believe a bogus Saudi explanation for their brutal murder of a Washington Post journalist. At what cost to democracy? The president of the United States is backslapping a U.S. congressman for assaulting a journalist. At what cost to freedom of the press? The president of the United States is using immigrant families fleeing violence and pain to gin up fear among his base. At what cost to basic human decency? Republicans may do very well in November, I think better than most are expecting, but at what cost? All right, for more on this, I want to bring in former Arizona Governor Jan Brewer. Uh, Governor Brewer, good to see you. You were, uh, you were at yesterday's hi. You were at yesterday's rally in Mesa, Arizona, your hometown, where um, your home state, where there is a tight Senate race between Martha McSally, Republican, and Kirsten Sinema, Democrat. Um, President Trump obviously enjoys giving these uh, performances. He's very good at them. But don't you think that some of this rhetoric gets in the way of an otherwise compelling economic message? Well, you know, see, I think that um, there's nobody better than President Trump to energize our base and uh, mobilize the troops out there. And it's getting, you know, it's silly time now and everybody is doing uh, all kinds of different things. But I think the American people overwhelmingly understand uh, just exactly what is important. And it's like what you related to. Uh, you know, I think we're all worried about our economy, our jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, and we are and we are worried about our security, not only our border security, sure. but our national security. So and um, I think how does, that uh, <laughs> President Trump has delivered. Yeah. President Trump has delivered on his promises. But so how does Horseface fit into that? Well, I don't know how that fits into it, you know. I, I think that it's given uh, the media a lot of things to talk about. It's not something that I, you know, would say, um, but uh, it, it, he did mm. say it. And, uh, you know, some people, I think, probably enjoyed it because they just don't like her and they don't like uh, her attorney. Um, you know, is it respectful, in my opinion? Uh, not so much. Well, Governor Burr, I ask about horseface. Uh woman to woman, Republican to Republican, in particular because the Republican Party has been losing ground with educated white women over the past several years. It's a, a, a demographic they could once really count on. But, um, you know, couple Trump's sometimes misogynist rhetoric with an immigration policy that's ripping children away from mothers, his shaming of victims of sexual assault. I just wonder if you think Republicans will pay a price with women, women like me. Well, I think the majority of women, um, 
uh, care uh, as much as men in regards to the economy and jobs and of course taxes. we do of course and we know that that has been successful so you know and I think they believe in in security and yeah. uh, in, in regards to our borders I mean we've had a terrible problem uh, here in the United States it's out of control uh, we can all see the visual uh, images on TV and uh, it's it's unrest it is uh, something that it, it's not can't be tolerated we are as you are yeah. well aware, you know, we're a country, a country of rules. We believe in the rule of law. And to have this sure. going on in our country is, is not acceptable to so most I, people, yeah. including women. I agree women. with that. I, I, and as a Republican woman, I've been telling people uh, on the left and the media for years, women care about security, women care about the economy, women care about taxes, totally. But are you just hoping that women this generation, future generations sort of compartmentalize all of the awful things that Trump has said about women and to women and just sort of put that away and just vote on policies? Well, no, I, you know, I, I, I want them to focus on what's good for our country and what's good for our country. Calling names, yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean much to me. I mean, I don't like it, but it doesn't mean much to me. I think that if you're educated and you care about your families, uh, that if you see and you look and you receive uh, the benefits that what have been delivered mm. and will continue to be delivered by a Republican administration. Um, you know they'll vote. They'll vote a Republican, and mm. you know, and we're we're looking for Democrat votes, and we're looking for independent votes. Right. And he mobilizes people. He causes that excitement. So, for the record, Governor, you don't agree with what Greg Gianforte did to a, a journalist last year, grabbing him by the throat and slamming him to the ground for asking a question, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think we can agree that violence of any kind against a reporter or anyone is unacceptable. So when the president says any guy who can do a body slam, he's my type, isn't that, isn't that sending a really bad message? Well, it is a message that, you know, I, it's not well received by uh, myself and, uh, mm. and others, I, I would assume. But I also believe, you know, Hillary Clinton says, you know, uh, that you're not going to uh, tolerate civil unrest. I mean, it's, it, it, yeah. you know, if they don't agree with us, then we're not going to be civil, I think was her quote. And then you've got um, uh, Rahm Emanuel out there saying, when they go low, kick, kick. And they're it throwing rocks at our headquarters. Yeah, Eric Holder, I'm sorry. Yeah. And they're throwing rocks through our windows at our headquarters here in Arizona with mm. F. Trump uh, through the window. And so, you know, we've got this unrest going from New York to, to California. People need to focus on the real issues. We've got serious issues to base yeah. our, votes, our votes on. Yeah. And that's what people should step up and listen to. All this other stuff is just, you know, uh, forget it. Just move forward. Wish I could. And I when believe the that we're going to have states is saying it, though. You got to pay attention. Um, lastly, you mentioned Hillary Clinton. I do want to get your opinion on something she said this week. Take a listen. In retrospect, do you think Bill should have resigned in the wake of the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Absolutely not. It wasn't an abuse of power. No, no. There are people who look at the incidents of the '90s and they say a president of the United States cannot have a consensual relationship with an intern. The power imbalance is too great. Who was great. an adult. But let me ask you this. Where's the investigation of the current incumbent against whom numerous allegations have been made and which he dismisses, denies, and ridicules? 
Uh, you know, Governor Brewer, I have discussed the many allegations against Donald Trump, which I find to be credible, but I was floored to hear a woman in 2018, any woman, but especially a woman and a Democrat who wanted to be president, suggest earnestly that the age of consent somehow indemnifies a man against abusing his power. Is Hillary the gift that keeps on giving to Republicans? Absolutely. Just keep her on TV and keep her out in public because that was outrageous what she said because it was an adult. Does she not think that uh, she was 18 years old, by the way, and it took place in the White House, in the Oval Office, I mean, in our house. And to say that uh, she was a, a consensual adult? Come on. Uh, that's outrageous. Uh, you know, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Mm. Governor Jan Brewer, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Will you say hello to my favorite state for me? I will. And come visit us. <laughs> you know I will. All right. Up next, Democrats are seeing stars in 2020, but have some already burned out. And later, we'll look at whether November polling is worth believing. The midterms are just a few weeks away, but Democrats, they're looking ahead to 2020. Earlier today, former Vice President Joe Biden spoke to union workers in Las Vegas for no reason, I'm sure. Senator Bernie Sanders is swinging through Iowa and South Carolina today for no reason, I'm sure. Yesterday, Senators Cory Booker and Kamala Harris were both in South Carolina for no reason, I'm sure. And last week, Democrat billionaire Michael Bloomberg was seen glad-handing in New Hampshire for no reason, I'm sure. But claiming the for no reason, I'm sure prize... Senator Elizabeth Warren this week released a splashy ad about her Oklahoma roots. She's a senator in Massachusetts, by the way. And her DNA results, which proved she is part Native American in no meaningful way. For more on the Democrats' 2020 spectacular, spectacular, let me bring in former executive director of the New York State Democratic Party, Democratic strategist Basil Smeichel, and Republican strategist Doug High. Basil, let's get it out of the way. Yeah. What the hell was Elizabeth Warren thinking? I have no idea. It's a terrible electoral sort of campaign-related strategy. So let's, let me see. Oh, wait, that. this was a strategy. Uh, let's hear <laughs> it. Apparently it was. Um, she should have done this like two years ago. But that aside, why this is actually infuriating to me oh, okay. is because whatever connection she has to the Native American community, my great, 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 that's three greats, great, great, great grandfather's white from Scotland, none of his white privilege translates to me. Okay. So I can't go around saying that I'm white or that I'm Scottish. I can't wear a kilt down 125th Street. Yeah, or I you could. can wear a kilt. I could, wear a kilt. but it would be a little awkward. Okay. But then, so, but to that point, you know, it bothers me because, you know, sort of race, ethnicity, or minority status is not something you wear like a costume. It's a life lived, and if you're African-American, sometimes a burden. Preaching um, to the choir. So, so this is what bothers rail me. against identity and this is, politics all the and time. This is what, well, I don't have a problem with identity politics. Oh. It's, it's your, it's, you should. It, is your identity authentic? <laughs> That's what that's right. what's concerning to me. Right. And that's why I think it's just it, it was just so hypocritical. It bothers me. I mean, that's a really good point, Doug, mm -hmm. um, and far more substantive than the point I'm going to make. This was so stupid. <laughs> yes. Uh, as a PR move, you are a PR comms, uh, you know, political professional. She didn't call Cherokee Nation yeah, to, right. to ask or tip them off, um, which would have been like job one, mm -hmm. to avoid the backlash that she got. I mean, should she fire everyone that works for her? No, because this, this comes from her. This was clearly her decision. We're going to do this. We're going to take the lead on this. We're going to do it before the elections to kick this off. This is when the staff 
rolls their eyes and 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 and, and tries to figure out how they can placate the boss and not oh. make a mistake at the same time. And uh -huh. so, you know, it's not what we've seen this week. It's not Donald Trump getting the best of Elizabeth Warren here. Elizabeth Warren got the best of Elizabeth Warren. Um, and the story yeah. unraveled as the numbers unraveled. Oh, yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Joe Biden. Among the contenders for 2020, uh, he's the Democrat who speaks middle America the most convincingly. I'm not sure he could win a primary. Do you? I think he can. Listen, I think he can. Um, and if you, if you are a voter that believes that our candidate, Democratic candidate, should be able to match wits with, have a similar personality as okay. Donald Trump, he's your guy. Do you I'm think not, he's I progressive enough for this I, new liberal Democratic Party? Here's the thing. I actually don't think the next president after Donald Trump, four years or eight years, okay. is needs to necessarily have that progressive ideology that you're referring to. Right. It has to be, I think, largely custodial. Why? Because that president is going to be undoing almost everything that Donald Trump has done. Mm, mm. Um, so it's not, it's less about, I think the ideology is important, but if we elect him, um, I think he'll have it to some extent. But the key is that person's going to have to A, get elected, and B, yes. spend a lot of their time sort of undoing the last four years. Doug, um, longtime advisor to uh, Hillary Clinton, Philippe Reynas, said he leaves the door open to another Hillary Clinton run. What do you make of that? Three words. Make it stop. <laughs> oh, Four words. Please make it stop. <laughs> this would be like knowing the Titanic would sink before the Titanic is yeah, launched. Right. This is, it's not going to happen. She's not going to win. Her message is, I lost to Donald Trump, which isn't one that really reverberates well in the Democratic community. But I'd also say one thing that people underrate about Joe Biden. Okay. There's no white Democratic politician who has more credibility in the African-American community than Joe Biden does hmm. and because of his work with Barack Obama. And he can go into those communities in ways that a lot of white Democrats can't with credibility. Yeah. And that's a big block of the Democratic Party. If he gets Barack Obama's imprimatur, that, that's the question. Does he actually get that in the context hmm. of the primary? I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, and that what might not have been the case had Barack Obama not picked him to be his vice president. But, sure. Um, yeah. But, but, but it remains to be seen. Yeah. yeah it remains to be seen. Uh, okay, for what it's worth, um, here's my advice to Democrats. Want to win? Stop defending Hillary Clinton. She's terrible. You don't need her. She lost the presidency twice. Once to another Democrat and the other to Donald Trump, get off the Clinton crack pipe. It's rotting your brains. Basil, Doug, thank you. <laughs> All right, election day will be a blue wave or a red dawn or a toss up. I'll read the midterm tea leaves next. And coming up, Trump's taken the Republican Party to total control of Washington. But at what cost to conservatism? Breaking now, President Trump just told reporters that the U.S. is pulling out of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty with Russia. Take a listen. Russia has violated the agreement. They've been violating it for many years, and I don't know why President Obama didn't negotiate or pull out. And we're not going to let them violate a nuclear agreement and go out and do weapons, and we're not allowed to. We're the ones that have stayed in the agreement, and we've honored the agreement, but Russia has not, unfortunately, honored the agreement. So we're going to terminate the agreement. President Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev signed the treaty in 1987, but the Trump White House believes it puts the U.S. at a disadvantage when it comes to countering a Chinese arms buildup since China faces no such constraints on intermediate-range nuclear missiles. National Security Advisor John Bolton is expected to tell Russian leadership about the INF exit on his trip next week. We'll be back in two minutes. 
In the red file tonight, a recent CNN poll shows two-thirds of women voters say they're more likely to vote Democrat, while 33% are more likely to vote Republican. In a generic head-to-head -head ballot matchup, 54% of voters say they're supporting the Democrat in their district. 41% say they are backing a Republican. So the polling indicates Democrats are maintaining a 2018 lead. Some might even say a strong lead. But are they really? Nate Silver of 538 reports he's seeing a trend for midterm election predictions that those same overstatements that crashed and burned in 2016, particularly in the media. Silver told the Washington Post this week there's a 40% chance that both houses of Congress will end up in the hands of one party. Joining me now is senior writer and analyst for CNN Politics, Harry Enten. Harry, your latest forecast has Democrats winning uh, the House majority, Republicans maintaining the Senate. I've been saying I will not be surprised if Republicans keep the House. Is there a scenario in which you could see that happening? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think the one thing we learned from 2016 is you don't just take one poll and run with it, right? Have we learned that, Harry? Well, I, I would like to think we've learned <laughs> okay. it. Okay. I mean, I've sort of tried to get people to learn it. Maybe yeah. not. I yeah. mean, look, take that generic congressional ballot question that you just asked about, right? If yeah. you look at the average of polls that actually suggest the Democratic lead in the high single digits, that yes. would still put them probably on their way to a House majority, but certainly not as large of a majority as, say, a 13-point advantage would. So you talk about not taking one poll and running with it. That was a problem. The other problem, though, was polling didn't accurately reflect what people, how people were going to vote. There were a lot of Trump voters who didn't answer polls. They didn't feel comfortable sharing their inclinations. Do you think we could see that, again, taking poll averages, if people aren't telling us who they're going to vote for, what do they matter? Sure. I mean, look, polls, garbage in, garbage out, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, but if you look at the 2017 and 2018 cycle so far, right, we've had a number of special elections, yes. most prominently down in Alabama. And I looked at those numbers, and what you, in fact, found was the Democrats are actually outperforming their polling, not the Republicans. Uh -huh. So okay. I think one of the key lessons from 2016 isn't so much to think that Republicans will outperform their polls, rather that polls have a margin of error, uh -huh. and we should adhere to that and recognize that, hey, there could be an error that benefits the Republicans, but it's just as likely that there could be an error that benefits the Democrats. Right. Okay. So um, the women vote, as you know, could end up being significant in these midterms. A lot of suburban women voted for Trump in 2016. That was not necessarily reflected in the polls. Could this be the same case in November for women in particular? It, it could be. I should point out, or just overall as well, is that we're looking at the largest gender gap dating back since at least 1978 yeah. for a midterm election. Yeah. So, uh, you know, look, I would say, of course, it could be the case that the polls are not measuring women voters in the suburbs. But the other thing that I'll point out that I think is important, right, was that there was a specific underestimation of Republican strength in the upper Midwest in 2016. Yeah, right. What we're seeing right now is the Democrats are playing in a lot of different places, right? They're playing in the upper Midwest, but they're also playing in California where yeah. they might pick up a lot of seats. They might pick up seats down in Texas. They might pick up seats in the interior Northeast. So if there's a polling error that targets a specific group mm. and the pollsters aren't picking that up, Democrats could still get the majority because maybe they're outperformed with another group. Okay. Um, yeah, specifically, I, I'm, I'm hearing from Democrats they are worried about underperforming with Hispanic voters. Um, so they're trying to sort of balance out um, the, the different demos there. On the other side, I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of people, even Democrats themselves, um, suggesting that Democrats will win the Senate 
Is that a possibility? I mean, yeah, it is, but the map is very difficult, right? Yeah. Because Democrats need a net pickup of two. They already control 26 of the 35 seats that are up. Look, they're doing okay in Arizona and Nevada, so that gets them to two, but then they're trailing badly in the state of North Dakota, yeah. so that means you have to find another seat. The best opportunities are either Texas with Beto O'Rourke, who I think is more popular on the Upper West Side than he actually is 100%. in Texas. 100%. <laughs> Uh, or you... I've been calling him the Wendy Davis. Yeah. The uh, Wendy Davis of 2018. Uh, right. I mean, I think he'll do a little bit better than Wendy Davis. He actually <laughs> has a shot in the final days of the got campaign. A lot of but, money. Yeah. But he's got a lot of money. Yeah. But he's clearly an underdog. Or you could go to Tennessee with Phil Bredesen. Sure. And there was one poll out this week that did show him up by a point, but the overall average has him down probably by about four to five points. That's what my forecast currently has. Okay. So, I mean, you're just going okay. through a lot of different scenarios. It's tough for Democrats. But look, they still have a shot. Let's wait and see. Okay. There are margins of error. All right. Harry Enten, junk ball. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Up next is conservatism in a coma. I want to take you back to July of 2015. Donald Trump was appearing at a conference for religious conservatives in Iowa, and he was asked about John McCain. Remember this? He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Well, to state the obvious, smearing and mocking one of the Republican Party's most respected leaders and one of our military's greatest heroes as a Republican candidate for president would not end up being disqualifying for Trump. For conservatives like me, this was the first of many signs that something was amiss in the Republican Party. The insults, of course, continued from mocking a disabled journalist to attacking a gold star family. Every time he went low, Republicans in Congress and many Republican voters stooped down to meet him and give him cover. Now, Trump supporters are trying to smear Jamal Khashoggi on behalf of the president, not because he opposed Trump, but simply to justify Trump's muted response to his brutal murder. One thing we have to understand is Khashoggi was not a good guy himself. Now some things have come out, and we're just reporting the facts. You know, Lisa, we don't have to fall down one way or the other on this, but Khashoggi was tied to the Muslim Brotherhood. And there was this. At a rally this week, Trump voters burst into rabid, almost feral applause when he boasted about a Republican House candidate assaulting a reporter. Greg is smart. And by the way, never wrestle him. You understand that? Never. Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my kind. He's my guy. Guys, here's what I want you to know. This is not conservatism. These are not conservative values. This is, however, and arguably and, and lamentably, today's Republican Party. Republican U.S. Senator and CNN senior political commentator Rick Santorum and CNN chief media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources. Brian Stelter, join me now. Um, Senator Santorum, we can talk about tax cuts, unemployment, the Supreme Court. Those are very important things to you, to me, to a lot of conservatives. But when we look back, do you think conservatives will be proud of some of the things that Republicans defended? No, and I don't think we should be defending the things that are indefensible. Uh, that's not to say that everything the president says obviously is indefensible, but things that are yeah. that are clearly outside the bounds, like attacking a gold star mother, things like that. I mean, those those are things you you know. And and I think a lot of Republicans have done that. You're right. A lot have not. A lot have just uh, whatever the president does, they find a reason to justify yeah. it. And 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 I think that's wrong. And I think it actually uh, has 
caused, you know, encourages the president to do more things that are irresponsible that hurt him and hurt the, hurt the country and hurt the Republican cause and the conservative cause. But does it hurt him? I mean, smearing a sure murder journalist that's happening, applauding the assault of a journalist. I don't know, maybe Trump supporters uh, would, would smear a dying child if she said something critical of the president. I'm not sure it's hurting him. Um, his approval, at least among his base, is, is pretty high. Well, I think it's hurting him. Yeah, obviously, outside the, outside the base, uh, it's clearly hurting them. All you have to do is look at all of these Republicans in trouble in suburban districts mm. uh, that, that have traditionally voted Republican. Uh, it's, yeah. it's hurting him. It's hurting the Republican Party in, in a lot of areas. And it's unnecessary. That's, that's the thing that's so yeah. uh, upsetting about all this. He doesn't need to go there uh, in order to, uh, to make his case. I think he can be tough on the media. I actually, I actually like the fact that he's tough on the media, but he always goes, well, he doesn't always, but he often goes too far. Too far, And yeah. I think it undermines, it undermines his legitimate criticism of, of the, of the left-wing media. Right. Uh, Brian, to that, Steve Scalise, a Republican congressman whom I, I know and respect, tweeted yesterday, President Trump was clearly ribbing Congressman Gianforte for last year's incident, which he apologized for last year. It's obvious he was not encouraging his supporters to engage in attacks, and not one person harassed the numerous media reporters who were present. To, to Rick's point, you don't have to defend everything that the president says. You don't have to justify it or try to contort yourself to explain it. And yet, even decent, good lawmakers like Steve Scalise seem to want to do that for him. Yeah, I think in um, in some ways, you know, uh, this is one of those rare cases where silence would have been better, would have been better not to weigh in at all. I think what we see with this Gianforte thing where yeah. Trump is out there praising the congressman, it's this in-group, out-group behavior. The, the mm. crowd there is the in-group, the reporters are the out-group. And, and Scalise is wrong when he says there's no harassment of reporters at these rallies. He may have not have been aware of any harassment at that particular rally, but certainly reporters out in mm. the press pen are harassed at Trump rallies. There's a lot of yelling toward them. There were some tr troubling incidents, especially during the campaign in 2016. But I think what we're seeing here is, um, is something deeper. You know, the, the view of Trump and some of his fans is reporters are pesky. They get in the way. They're annoying. They get in the way of our agenda. So if you have to body slam a reporter, uh, there's, something, there's something that's acceptable or even comical about that. Again, in this framing of the in-group mm. and out-group, there's something that's okay about it because somehow you're getting rid of that reporter and they're asking pesky questions. I think I think that's the psychology of what's going on when Trump praises Gianforte. He was also just playing for laughs in the arena, right? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Senator Santorum, you mentioned that you don't think uh, this is helpful for Trump. I think a lot of people believe Republicans will pay a price for all of this in November. I'm not sure they will. I think Republicans will do just fine in November. But pitch forward a year, two, five, ten. Do you worry that conservatism suffers, that you and I have a harder time convincing young people, women, minorities, anyone else, that our policies are better? Well, you know, look, as you know, uh, see, I, I, I was uh, one of the original authors of um, the, the blue collar conservative movement within the Republican Party, wrote a book right. about it uh, four years ago, which which Donald Trump read before he ran for president. And so I think the transformation of the Republican Party to a more blue collar party yeah. is is the is the direction, frankly, that the party should be taking. Uh, and Trump has led us there. So in, in, in many respects, you know, I tip my hat to the president. Uh, I don't think that his particular style 
of communication and, and his, uh, his aggressive and, and personal nature uh, mm. are something that, that are going to attach to the blue-collar movement. I, and I know people, I mean, there was a day when I, when I was considered to sort of be a rough-and-tumble politician. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I remember I, that I with, a, with nostalgia. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm Harvey Milktoast right now in the Republican <laughs> Party. And, and, and so I, I don't think that necessarily we're, we're committed to that, hmm. to, to having those two things merged together. I think we can be a conservative party, a blue-collar conservative party, a party of working men and women of all colors, uh, and, 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 and be very successful without the uh, histrionics. Uh, Brian, yesterday I wondered aloud on Twitter if any reporters at Fox would denounce the president for celebrating a member of Congress uh, for assaulting a journalist. To my pleasant surprise, at least one did. Red Bear tweeted, body slamming or threatening journalists for asking questions and doing their job is not okay and shouldn't be. That's all. Uh, Is that good enough? Right. We have to have the ability to think five or ten years down the line and picture what it looks like when a Democratic president's in office and some of this stuff is happening uh, in the other direction. And obviously, uh, yes. anchors and commentators of Fox News would be horrified to see a Democratic president praising a congressman for bias and a reporter. We've got to constantly be doing that exercise in our heads. We're flipping it around. And actually, to the credit of some prominent conservatives this weekend, you know, there was this uh, ridiculous group of protesters that went up to Nancy Pelosi the other day, right. yelling at her, calling her a communist. And we've seen a lot of honest conservatives denouncing that behavior, saying, if right. you don't like the Democratic mob, so to speak, then don't engage in this behavior either. Amen. We need a lot more of that kind of honesty in both directions, uh, because, frankly, five or ten I years agree. from now, whenever it may be, this is going to be applied in the other direction. Uh, Rick, Brian, thanks so much to you both for coming on. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. I see. Okay, don't forget, you can see Brian Stelter on Reliable Sources tomorrow morning at 11 on CNN. After the break, Trump is buying it, but does anyone else believe Saudi Arabia's story about Jamal Khashoggi's death? 18 days after the suspicious disappearance of a Saudi journalist and Washington Post columnist, Saudi Arabia has finally admitted Jamal Khashoggi is dead. But their explanation about what happened inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul isn't flying with almost everyone but President Trump. Washington Post publisher and CEO Fred Ryan in a statement today said this is not an explanation. It is a cover up. Saudi Arabia claims the journalist died after an argument inside the consulate escalated into a violent fistfight. A source close to the royal palace tells CNN's Clarissa Ward the cause of death was a chokehold or strangulation. President Trump has said he believes the Saudis story to be credible and had this to say about how Saudi officials were handling the investigation into themselves after a Nevada rally earlier today. No, I'm not satisfied until we find the answer, but it was a a big first step. It was a good first step, but I want to get to the answer. Joining me now is president of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, Evo Dalder. He's also co-author of The Empty Throne, America's Abdication of Global Leadership. Um, so, Evo, Saudi Arabia has repeatedly changed their story, but Trump keeps downplaying the possibility of the Saudi royals' involvement while boasting about our economic ties to the kingdom. Doesn't that signal to the Saudis that there's no incentive to be more transparent about what happened? 
Yeah, I think it does. I think what we're engaged in, both uh, with President Trump and the Saudi uh, leadership, is a damage limitation exercise. Uh, there's nothing like the complete or thorough or transparent investigation that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said uh, was needed when he was yeah. in Riyadh and heard uh, the Saudis say, in fact, they're making up stories to get on with the business uh, as usual. And that's, of course, totally unacceptable. Well, Trump is out of step even with his own intelligence officials on this. Um, and even one of his staunchest foreign policy supporters, Senator Lindsey Graham, said he's not buying the Saudis' explanation. Lindsey Graham tweeted, to say that I am skeptical of the new Saudi narrative about Mr. Khashoggi is an understatement. So Trump has options, Evo, on a broad spectrum if he wanted to use them. What do you think would be the appropriate sort of balanced response? So I think there are kind of three things he should do. First, I think it's necessary to go to the UN Security Council and to demand an international investigation with the full cooperation of both the Turkish government and the Saudi government. We can't expect the Saudis to be investigating themselves. And frankly, sure. we can't uh, in, uh, just rely on Turkish uh, leaks to the media to have to know what really happened. We really need a serious investigation. Secondly, the United States should work with Britain and France and other allies to suspend any further arms shipments to Saudi Arabia. There is absolutely no reason why at this moment we should be sending arms to the Saudis and we can work with the Brits, we can work with the French to uh, stop uh, those kinds of shipments. And then third, uh, the war in Yemen that we have uh, in, in, is supported with intelligence and other means, it's got to come to a halt and come to a stop. And we should press the Saudis to finally stop the indiscriminate bombing uh, that has killed tens of thousands and left uh, millions destitute in, in Yemen. And the prospect of a famine there is very serious. The time to say we need to get the Saudis to change their behavior is now. This is the opportunity to do it. And that's what real leadership would mean. Well, according to the Financial Times, Russia President Vladimir Putin is using this as a means to gloat about the end of U.S. global dominance. Is that just demagoguing, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's Putin being Putin. It's yeah. trying to find every time there is some situation in which the United States, either because of its own actions or because of other actions, finds itself in, in difficulty, uh, he starts poking at it. Uh, and that's what he does. He's a master at it. Uh, and we were seeing it happening again. But we're providing the opportunity here. We're letting the Saudis off the hook. We're letting the Saudis, frankly, like uh, uh, the, uh, the Russians, who have engaged in and killing people, uh, their own people, on foreign soil. We're letting this happen, and we shouldn't let that happen. We should make very clear that it's totally unacceptable to have this kind of behavior, particularly from a partner and an ally like Saudi Arabia. Uh, Eva, while I have you, I'd like to get your response to the news that President Trump is pulling out of that uh, INF um, treaty with Russia. What did you make of that? Well, the Russians have been uh, uh, violating uh, this treaty now for quite a, a long time, and it is necessary to have a, a strong response while also trying to negotiate a way to get them mm -hmm. back into the treaty. Um, that said, having at this moment walking out of a treaty that is extraordinarily important, mm -hmm. it end, helped end the Cold War. It was Ronald Reagan and Mikhail yeah. Gorbachev who negotiated this treaty. It's critical to the NATO alliance, and just walking away and saying, okay. we're not going to do this anymore isn't the Thank you, Evo, so much for your analysis. I really appreciate it. That's it for us tonight. Stick around for the Van Jones Show. 
As the battle for Congress heats up, Van talks to vets who are running for office about why they're answering the call to serve again. Plus, he talks to former Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett. That's up next on CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 